0: aisle there and carrying a baby and the baby started crying and fussing and stuff and that, that always happens and so I thought was great. I, I want to continue my series through 1 Corinthians. Uh, Christmas Eve I will share a Christmas message but I want to continue my series through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and so I'd invite you to pull out those message notes and just follow along and if you have your Bibles I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13. We've been in the series for some time. Each Sunday we've been looking at these love is or love is not statements. Love is patient. Love is kind. We talked about that. Love is not envious. Love is not rude. Love is not easily angered. And this morning we're going to look at the particular um, statement that says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. Our love does not hold grudges. Our love does not hold on to resentment. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look at verse 4 with me. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, if you have your Bibles, again, um, keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 13, and would you turn over with me to Job. Job is back in the Old Testament era. Turn with me to Job. We'll be looking at the story of Job this morning. And I want you to look at Verses, with me, chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. 6 through 12. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came to them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered, From roaming throughout the whole earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There was no one on earth like him. He is blameless and he's upright. He's a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the works of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well. Then everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. And then I want you to turn with me back to chapter 42, back to chapter 42 of Job. And let's look at verses 7 through 10. Job 42, verses 7 through 10. This is the epilogue, and what's happened here is that Job has gone through a lot of suffering and pain, which we'll talk about in just a moment, and then his friends have come to him, and they've tried to give him comfort and advice, but they haven't been very good at it. And then you see a lot of Job's responses. And after all this, notice Job chapter 42. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Timonite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. And so they did this, and they accepted Job's prayer. After he had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortune and gave him twice as much as he had before. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you would help me to share this word. Thank you again for the reminder, Lord Jesus, of what you did for us. Thank you for the words that you spoke through the power of the Holy Spirit so many years ago about what love is and love is not. I'm asking that you'd help me again to share your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin by sharing a story that I heard a week or two ago. I heard about a cat and a mouse that died on the same day and went to heaven. Just bear with me, okay? A cat and a mouse that died and went to heaven on the same day. A couple of weeks later, St. Peter uh, saw the mouse and he said, How do you like heaven? And the mouse said, It's wonderful. It's great. But it's so big that I wish I had a pair of roller skates and St. Peter said no problem and gave him a pair of roller skates a couple of weeks later he saw the cat and he said how do you like heaven and the cat said it's wonderful it's absolutely fantastic and just when I thought it couldn't get any better I discovered nails on wheels <laughs> ah that's kind of corny I know Now, now, heaven's going to be great, and heaven's going to be wonderful. But while we're here on earth, we're going to have trials, and we're going to have difficulties. And as we've been saying through this series through 1 Corinthians, and also 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we've been parked out for a while, that often our trials and difficulties have to do with relationships and getting along with people. It's a fact of life. People are going to hurt you. And you're going to hurt people. It's a fact of life. People are going to hurt you, and you're going to hurt other people. It's just a fact of life. And sometimes these people hurt you intentionally, and sometimes they hurt you unintentionally. But we have often relationship problems, and we can either choose to forgive and let it go, or we can hold on to the hurt and often become resentful in fact i want to tell you how you handle your hurt to a large degree to a large degree will determine your happiness i have met a number of people over the years who unfortunately have held on to grudges and resentment of other people i have had more than one couple more than one person more than one married partner tell me I don't love my husband. I don't love my wife anymore. I don't have any feelings. I'm dead inside. What's wrong with me? What's often wrong is resentment. They have held on to some sort of hurt, some sort of grudge, something that they have drilled up over the years, and they have not let it go. Now, the good news is that you can recover from your resentment. And you can recover from these emotions and hurts in life. First Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5. What does it say? Love keeps no record of wrongs. And that's an accounting term. It does not keep a ledger of wrongs. In other words, love does not hold on to a grudge. But you don't know how many people I know that will hold on to a grudge. I didn't like what they said. I didn't like what they did. I didn't like their nonverbal response to me. It hurt me. And I'm having a difficult time letting it go. Today, I want us to focus on the story of Joe. There was this man by the name of Joe. Did you know all of this livestock? He was a very, very wealthy man. And the Bible says that Satan came to God one day and said, remove your hands of protection and Job will curse you. And God said, go ahead. I'm going to remove my hand of uh, protection on him and you can do anything you want to Job. Just don't take his own life. And so God allowed his wealth to be taken. He had seven sons and three daughters and they all died at once. He lost his family. And as you know the story, he lost his health. He's sitting on a donkey. He's got boils all over his body. He takes out the shards of clay and begins to scrape the the pus away from the boils. It was an incurable disease up to this uh, at that time. If anybody had a right, humanly speaking, to be resentful, to keep a record of wrongs, it was Job. But on top of this. On top of this, his very wife came against him. And then his three sons, excuse me, his three friends, meaning well, wanting to comfort him, wanting to pat him on the back, wanting to encourage him, comes up to him. But instead of encouraging him, they create more resentment, you might want to say. Because they said, it's all of your fault. The reason why you're experiencing all of this loss and everything, uh, loss of health and wealth, is because you've sinned. You've done something wrong. And humanly speaking, Job had every single reason to feel resentful. I want to talk about the why of resentment. I I want to talk about, before I talk about the cure for resentment and the consequences, I I, I want to talk about the causes of resentment. We read a story of Job that he's resentful. He begins to go down this pathway for, for three reasons. Number one, hurtful words. Hurtful words. I want you to look in the message notes. Job chapter 12, verse 5. You have no troubles. Job speaking back to his friends, and yet you make fun of me. You hit a man who was about to fall. He's saying, you come to me, and you're trying to comfort me, but your words make me fall. They discourage me. You're saying the wrong things. Have you ever had people come up to you and wanting to encourage you, but they say the wrong things to you. They don't know how to comfort you. They think they're patting you on the back, but really they're slapping you across the face. Hurtful words, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names can never hurt me. But I bet you, you can recall a time when somebody said something nasty to you, or you can recall a time when you were in grammar school and somebody labeled you in a certain way. I can still remember when the third grader by the name of Alvin Hobby called me crowbar, and that name stuck with me for a few years. Why did he call me crowbar? I don't know. I have no idea. But he was a smart, alky kid. And I got stuck with that term for a few years. Please don't call me crowbar, okay? (laughs) Please don't do that. And I bet you you can recall some names that people called you. Hurtful words. We get resentful because somebody has said something to us or something about us. And Job went down this pathway of resentment at first because of the hurtful words that were said about him. And then hurtful thoughts. Hurtful thoughts. What people think about us. I want you to look at Job chapter 19 verse 5. Notice in your message notes. This is what Job said. Do you think you are better than I am? Speaking back to his friends. And in regard to my troubles as proof of my guilt. Can you be hurt without having anybody say anything to you? Absolutely. Do you know that we pick up on nonverbal vibes? That person over there, they've got something against gets me. they talking about me. I can tell there's some cold shoulder going on here, whatever it may be. In other words, hurtful thoughts. And we can be hurt, and we can go down the road of resentment because of hurtful words and hurtful thoughts. And then, number three, hurtful actions. What people actually do to us. Look at Job 19, verse 19. Notice, he says this, those I love the most, including his wife, including his best friends. Job felt this way. Whether or not it was true or not, he felt as though his friends had turned against him. He says, they turned against me. I want you to circle that phrase if you like to circle. Those I love the most. And this is where we understand that Job's wife came to him. Do you remember? After he lost his health and he lost his wealth and he lost his children, and she said to him, you might as well curse God and die. In marriages, in the families, they can say, very, very hurtful things, and betray us, and do hurtful things. The causes of resentment, often hurtful words, hurtful thoughts, and hurtful actions. This is what we see in the story of Job. What are the negative consequences? If you go down this road, if you go down this road of resentment, what are the negative consequences of resentment? First of all, we read in the story of Job that Job began to go down this way and and his friends indirectly and in God's way in which he spoke to Job, he realized that resentment is unreasonable. Resentment is unreasonable. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. It's irrational. It's not worth the effort. Job chapter 5, verse 2, his friends said to him indirectly, To wear yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish and senseless thing to do. Would you circle that word senseless? It does not make sense when we go down the road of resentment. He says it's worthless. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 9 says, It's foolish to harbor a grudge. Why? Because you cannot change the past. You cannot change what has happened in the past. You cannot change what that person has said to you. You can't change what that person has done to you. It's in the past and yet it often affects our present and it affects our future. He says it's unreasonable. Psalm 109, verse 33. He was so bitter, he spoke without stopping to think. And that's what happens a lot of times. We get bitter and we get resentful. The second consequence is that, did you know that resentment hurts you more than it hurts the other person? It hurts you more than it hurts the other person. I want you to know, as says, you, his friends, you are only hurting yourself with your own anger. When you get resentful, it hurts you more than it hurts the per- other person. I want to let you know, with Greg back here, I do watch the Three Stooges every once in a while. And a couple of years ago, <laughs> the great theologian. Uh, Curly was having a problem with somebody. And Curly was complaining to Mo that somebody kept slapping him in the chest. And you know what Curly's uh, idea was? You know what he told Mo he was going to do? He said, Mo, I'm going to strap some dynamite to my chest, and when they slap my chest, it's going to blow their hand off. (laughs) Now, you think about it. Resentment hurts you more than the other person. It's, it's kind of like pointing a rifle, pointing a shotgun at your chest. Stay with me. Pointing a shotgun at your chest and pulling the trigger and thinking that the recoil is of, the, of, the, of the shotgun is going to hurt the other person. You're only hurting yourself when you have resentment. It hurts you more than it hurts the other person. It's emotional suicide, somebody said. Resentment is hell in the heart, another person said. What's the third consequence? It's going, to steal, it's going to steal your happiness. It's going to steal your happiness and it's going to steal your joy when you become resentful against a co-worker, against a family member, against the, an extra neighbor. It's going to steal your joy. It's going to steal your joy. I want you to notice Job chapter 21, verses 23 through 25, right there in the message notes. Some men stay healthy till the day they die. Others have no happiness at all. They live and they die with bitter hearts. Can you be so resentful, holding on to grudges so much that it will take your health away from you? Absolutely. Not only your joy, but your absolute health. Some people say, watch what you eat. Other, a person said, it's not what you eat, it's what's eating you that can make a bigger difference in your life. A pastor friend I heard, this is a true story, he told this story a number of years ago. He said that a lady visited their church on a Sunday morning and she went through a horrendous divorce And she went blind in her right eye. She was under so much stress. She was under so much duress in her life that she went blind in her right eye because of the divorce proceedings. She went to doctor after doctor after trying to get her sight back. They couldn't get it back. The doctor said that she would just have to live with it. She would be blind the rest of her life. Her sight had deteriorated to the point she could not see in her right eye. At the very first Sunday that she visited that church, my pastor friend was talking about grudges and he was talking about resentment. And after the service, she prayed with him this prayer. God, flesh out all of the resentment and all of the grudges and all the record-keeping of wrong in my life. As she walked out and she finished the prayer, this is true she begins to gain sight back into her eye. You can't tell me that there isn't a direct correlation times with the spiritual and emotional and the physical when we harbor resentment and grudges. You say, Pastor Ron, what, what's the cure? What's the cure for resentment? What's, what's the cure for resentment? Well, I, I, wanna, I want us to look at in the remaining of my message Three things that we see in the story of Job. Three things that I think that Job did to, to get rid of that resentment that was building up in his life and building up to, into to his heart. And the very first thing that I see that Job did is, uh, is that he confessed it. He confessed it. He admitted it. He let it out there. I resent I'm bitter, and I'm angry. He admitted it. Job seven eleven. I cannot be quiet. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I have to speak. This is a modern-day paraphrase. I've got to get it out. I've got to let it go. Now, pardon the expression this morning, but I just have to say it this way, Okay. Job emotionally vomits. He just lets it out there and he tells God exactly how he was feeling in living color. I don't like it. It's not fair. I'm ticked off. I've got all of this losses. i lost my health, lost my wealth, lost my children. And on top of this, my wife thinks that my, I'm the worst person in the world And all my friends, instead of comforting me, they're coming to me and they're leaning me over the coals, they think that I've done something wrong, when I've done nothing wrong. It's not fear, I'm ticked off, I'm angry, the situation stinks. Now, I've known people, and maybe there's a person or two here this morning. You may be so angry at something that's happened recently or in the past, and you're you're angry at God. He knows it. You know it. If that's the case, why not admit it? Why not confess it? Why not get it out there? Why not do that? Some people say, you know, I'd like to just close the door on my past. I just want to let it go. But did you know that there's no closure without disclosure? We read in the book of James is the revealing of feelings is the beginning of healing. My paraphrase. You know, the best thing, and I talked about this last time that I met with you folks, the best thing you might, you could possibly do would be just go go home and write a letter. God, this is exactly what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. This is what I feel so resentful for. People have misunderstood me. They've said things about me. and they, They've gotten my... They just don't know my motive. They've mischaracterized my motive. Then you get a friend. You don't have to raise your hand this morning, but how many of you have a close, close friend that you can tell anything and everything to and they'll just let you talk, and without jumping on you and telling you you shouldn't feel that way, and quoting scriptures at you. you say, Pastor Ron, isn't there a time to tell people that? Yes. But when a person is emotionally vomiting all over you, that's not the time that you want to quote them a scripture. Afterwards, A word of encouragement. You have a friend. When we're talking about the cure for resentment, you've got to just uh, confess it. And number two, you, you just have to consciously choose to forgive other people. You have to consciously choose to forgive other people. You know, you're never going to get relief until you do. Because this is what we read in the story of Job. Job's friends hurt him Tremendously. They betrayed him. They were disloyal. They criticized him. They misunderstood him. And nothing again hurts more than being misunderstood and falsely accused. It wasn't Job's fault at all. He was innocent. He had every single right, human speaking, to be resentful. But God did a turnaround in Job's life. When did the turnaround happen? After he forgave his friends and after... He prayed for them. And we read it earlier in Job chapter 42. One more time, Job 42.10. Notice, after after Job prayed for his three friends, the friends that he began to build up resentment for, God made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. How and when did God do it? Afterward. Afterward, after he forgave them and after he prayed for them. You remember, Peter came to Jesus and he said, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? You see, we know from this passage of scripture and we know from that history that He was feeling big that day because the going rate was three, so he doubled it and added one for good measure. How many times am I supposed to forgive somebody? Seven times. Jesus said no, seventy times seven, an infinite number of times. You see, I think that when it comes to this idea of forgiveness, we think that it's a one-time deal. I'll just go to the altar. And I'll pray and i say, Lord, just help me to forgive them. Forgiveness, what I've discovered, is a process. It's not a one-time thing. Day after day, perhaps, week after week, hour after hour, to say, Lord, help me to forgive them. Help me to forgive them. Help me to forgive them. How do you know when there's no more resentment? How do you know when you've been healed up? and you're not keeping a record of wrongs, how do you know when you can be around them and you don't take those thoughts anymore? You consciously choose to forgive. Constantly. I I, I read this last week about uh, Clara Barton Clara Barton was the founder of the uh, American Red Cross. And I read that she was hurt very, very deeply by a man when she was younger in her youth. The same man, years later, she befriended, and they befriended one another. And her friend, another friend, commenting on the fact that Clara Barton renewed this friendship. And Clara Barton said something very complimentary about this man. This other friend said to her, Wasn't that the guy that hurt you so deeply when you were younger? And Clara Barton responded, Yes, and I distinctly remember forgiving him. Let it go. Let it go. And then number three, you, you, you just, you just got to correct the, the focus. you got to correct the focus of your life. You got to correct the focus of your life. As long as you focus on somebody you resent, they control you. Did you know that? If you focus on, on somebody who you resent, they control you. You're worrying about something uh, that they've already forgotten. Isn't that true? I, I've, I've talked to people who said, well, did you, you know in third grade, Fourth grade, my teacher embarrassed me so much in front of the classroom, and I'm thinking to myself, they've gone on with their life, and they don't even know how much they embarrassed you years ago. You've got to correct the focus of your life. I want you to look at Job chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. Put your heart right. Put your heart right. Reach out to God. Then face the world again, firm and courageous. Then all of your troubles will fade from memory like floods from your past and be remembered no more. Three specific words he gives. Put your heart right, reach out to God, and face the world again. I'm never going to get close with that person. I'm never going to have that kind of level of trust in that person. I'm just going to pull myself into a little shell here. And that the word says, face the world again. Don't pull yourself into this little shell. Put your heart right, reach out to God, and face the world again, firm and courageous. Then all your troubles will fade from your memory like floods. I always think about this story every Christmas because it's, uh, I think about... Charles Dickens, and I think about, he knew human nature so well. And there's been so many modern day retelling of the Christmas Carol and the person Scrooge. But I think Charles Dickens had it right. Scrooge was not always a Scrooge. When he was a young man, according to Charles Dickens, Scrooge was jilted by his fiancée. And instead of forgiving, he nursed that grudge and he nursed that resentment over and over, year after year, after year, until he became a bitter, shriveled up man, half the man that he should have become. And you know the rest of the story. He finally was shown... Through all of those ghosts of the past, that that was a wrong pathway to go down. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Let's let's pray together.